Hupakuo, and those of you reading through the Bible in 90 days, you're making your way. You're in the New Testament, as Cheryl says. It is refreshing. It is good to see Jesus. What's wonderful about this is we're going through the Gospels right here during the time of Easter, and we're gonna we're seeing portraits of Christ, and culminating in His most perfect work, that of the crucifixion and the resurrection. That's awesome. And, and I got this from Rick. Rick gave me this. Notice it says, it's cute how you think I'm listening, okay? And so, you know, the sad thing is sometimes we have this sitting, uh, maybe not on our tables here, but uh, we may have it sitting on our hearts as we listen to the Word of God being, being preached. It's cute how you think I'm listening. Well, hopefully this series is helping you to move beyond that. After giving a sermon, a pastor was greeting church members in the lobby. And one young man walked up to him and shook his hand and said simply, The answer is yes. Now what's the question? The pastor was visibly visibly confused. Again, the man said, Pastor, my answer is yes. What is the question? The pastor smiled awkwardly and asked the man to explain. The man's eyes moistened and his voice began to tremble. Pastor, about six months ago, I was in an adulterous relationship. My life was spiraling dangerously out of control. I was at risk of losing my marriage and my family, even my job. In the middle of my storm, a mess I had made myself, you preached a message about Christ's power to change a life. It seemed like every word you preached was for me. That evening, I agreed to go to a small group with my wife. I, I was terrified everyone would see right through me, but... I was shocked when they embraced me. They invited me to meet the same Jesus you described. That night, I invited Christ to change my life, and boy, did He ever. Today, my marriage and my family are better than they've ever been before. God used our church to change my life. He took a deep breath, regained His composure, and continued. So, Pastor, that's why I want you to know. My answer to you is yes. Whatever you need. Anywhere, anytime, my answer is yes. Now, what's the question? Now, when I read that last week, I thought, wow, that's our series, Hupakuo. That's everything we've been trying to learn and understand from this series. The answer is yes. Now, Lord, just tell me what it is you want me to do, and I will do it. But, if you're thinking about that, as you think about that, as we've learned these two principles, these first two spiritual skills, pre-obedience, we've called it pre-obedience, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what God says before I hear what it is. Uh, rather than post-consideration, I'll listen to what the sermon is and then I'll decide whether I obey. Well, pre-obedience should raise some questions and concerns in your mind. For instance, like, Are we to walk into a sermon or listen to a message on our iPod with our minds so open that our brains fall out? Is that what you're saying, Chris? Are we to come to church like a wet noodle and a blank slate and just kind of let you or whoever's speaking brainwash us with whatever and just take it in without thinking? Well, the first two spiritual skills we've learned could lead you in that way. Uh, let's let's review those. Spiritual skill number one, expect to hear from God and not just a man. Who we expect to hear from determines how we listen. Expect to hear from God and not just a man. Spiritual skill number two was admit God knows better than we do. 
Father really does know best. When it comes to listening to a sermon, the best hearing aid is a humbled heart. Now, these first two spiritual skills are foundational. Without these two skills, what I'm going to teach you today and what we're going to learn in the weeks to come are totally useless if you don't do these first two skills. That's why we've taken a lot of time with them. And if you notice, it's all about on the inside. It's all about really before you even come to church. It's all about the Spirit doing a work on the inside. If you don't expect to hear from God, then why bother to even come? If you don't expect to hear from God, you probably won't. Now, God's sovereign, and He can penetrate the hardest of hearts, and He does. We were all deaf. deaf. Uh, We were all blind. We were all dead as Lazarus in His tomb. But the sovereign God comes through the message of the gospel, and He cries out, Lazarus, come forth. And when I was 17, He said, Chris, come forth. And I hope there's a time and a place in your life where God has called you by name, though you were deaf, blind, not expecting to hear from Him, not even particularly seeking Him, certainly not ready to admit that He knew better, and yet He called you and He penetrated your heart. But God's sovereignty doesn't set aside our responsibility to be ready to hear from God. Now, secondly, if we're not willing to humble our heart and admit the Father knows best, then I ask you again, why bother, why bother to listen to a sermon? Why bother to come here today if you don't think God knows better than you do? Without a humbled heart and a submitted will, God may be speaking. In fact, God is always speaking. The heavens declare the glory of God. The word of God is being preached. God is speaking here at this church every time the doors are open, whether it's in the Wannas, whether it's in Promise Kids, Kingdom Kids, uh, to the senior adults, God is speaking. But if we don't admit He knows better than we do, if we don't humble our hearts, the problem is we're not really listening. And the remaining strategies, including today's, is going to do us no good if we don't have these two under our belt. But... This next spiritual skill, the one we're going to look at this morning, is critical for learning how to listen to a sermon preached or a lesson taught, the Word of God. And this skill number three is the spiritual safeguard. It will keep your pre-obedience from being mindless, from being foolish, or from being dangerous. I mean, this is how cults get started. Empty your mind, let me speak into it, and take what I say as being from God. So, you know, you could take these first two skills, expect to hear from God, not just a man, admit God knows better, and you could twist those. But I've been very careful to say there's always one, uh, one condition. The sermon has to be what? Biblical. It has to be biblical. And so here's spiritual skill number three. Check what you are hearing with the Bible. Check what you are hearing. This safeguards skill number one and skill number two from going off into a wrong direction. Check what you are hearing from the Bible. Let me put it this way. Be diligent to check the spoken word of men with the written word of God. Be diligent to check the spoken word of men with the written word of God. In other words, learn to discern. Learn to discern God's word. What is God's word and what is man's opinion? Amen? Oh, I didn't hear you. Amen? Amen. All right, just want to check. 
uh, you know, it's cute how you think I'm listening. I'm just checking. Learn to discern between what's biblical and what's biased. You got to learn to discern what is truth and what is tradition. What is revelation and what is just mere speculation. What is God speaking and what is man pontificating. In other words, what we need to do is be a Berean. We need to be a Berean. So turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 17 so we can learn about the Bereans this morning. And spiritual skill number three, check what you hear with the Bible. So in Acts chapter 17, uh, we're going to start in verse 1 because before Paul and his missionary team went to Berea, they went to Thessalonica. And in Thessalonica, we see believers who will teach us skills number one and two. And so, and, and there's a comparison that's going to be made between the Bereans and the Thessalonians. So let's, let's read uh, verses one through five first. Now, when they had passed through, and this is Paul and his missionary team, when they had passed through Amphipolis and, and Apollonia, I didn't practice those this week, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as, is his, as his custom was, went into them and for three Sabbaths, so three different Saturdays, reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that Christ had to suffer the crucifixion and rise again, the resurrection, from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ, the person and the work of Jesus Christ, the message of Easter, the meaning of Easter. It's all there, the gospel. And some of them, some of them, that is of the Jews, just some of them were persuaded. But a great multitude of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. But the Jews, in majority were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. Now, the first thing I want you to see in these five verses is that the Thessalonians are examples of the first two spiritual skills of hupakuo, placing myself under what I hear in order to obey. They expected to hear from God and not just from man. Now, how do you know that? Because keep your hand in Acts and then turn to 1 Thessalonians. We have read these verses, but I want to read them again to remind us of what took place. It's really exciting. You read the story in Acts 17, and then Paul comments on it in 1 Thessalonians. And look at 2.13. They practiced particularly many of the Greeks, but some of the Jews, practiced the first skill of expecting to hear from God and not just from man. We know this from 1 Thessalonians 2.13. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you, and here it comes, received the word of God which you heard from us. Here's how you received it. You welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. They received it as God's words, not just man's. They also practiced the second skill. They admitted God knew better than they did. How do we know that? Look at chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. In verses 9 and 10, we hear again how they listened to Paul, Paul's preaching. They admitted God knew better than they did. Notice verse 9. 
For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you. In other words, how you responded to us as church planners preaching the gospel. And how, and here's what they did, and how you turned to God from idols. In other words, God, we thought this was the best way to serve you. You know better than us. You have spoken to us. We turn from our lies. We turn from our sins. And we turn to serve the living and true God. And notice, true repentance bears the fruit of a lifelong service to God. That's what was preached. That's what they did. Because God knows better than we do. And you do it until Christ comes back or he or you die. Because verse 10, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Boy, you got heaven there. You got hell there. Uh, you know, interesting verses. Now, what do we see from this? We can learn a lot. I mean, we can learn a ton from the Thessalonians about how to hoop a kuo. But as good as the Thessalonians were, there was another group of people in another town nearby who were even better at listening to a sermon, and they are the Bereans. So turn back to Acts chapter 17, and after they leave Thessalonica, because basically because the majority of Jews there rejected the message, they attack the new believers, they attack the missionaries, and so the missionary team has to flee for their safety. And they flee about 55 miles southwest. And I think I gave you a little map there. It's a little hard to read, but up there at the top, you see Thessalonica at the top. And then to the southwest is Berea. So they make a, they make a run for Berea. And we see this in verse 10. Acts 17, verse 10. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. So you got a total repeat of what happened in Thessalonica. Paul's always to the Jew first, then to the Gentile. Exact repeat, but notice the difference. Verse 11. These were more fair-minded or noble-minded or open-minded than those in Thessalonica. And what he's comparing are the Jews of Thessalonica with the Jews of Berea. Remember, most of the Jews in Thessalonica did not believe, just some of them. Here we see they were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Therefore, look at verse 12. What's the result of their more noble-mindedness? Many of them. Not some of them. Many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women, as well as men. So in both cases, many Greeks. In one case, just a few Jews. In the other case, many of the Jews. What was, what made the difference? Well, the Bereans are the examples of the third spiritual skill to hupakuo. What made the difference? What made the difference according to verse 11? They were more what? More noble-minded. They were more noble-minded. Let's look at this, this word. In, in the, uh, uh, there's some translations I gave you. Fair-minded, open-minded, noble-minded. The NIV does a little bit of a paraphrase and says noble character. The literal meaning of this word is a person of noble birth, 
a person of noble birth. In other words, it's used elsewhere by Luke of a nobleman. You know, someone of, of high standing, someone of, uh, of great respect in the community. In fact, in 1 Corinthians one twenty six, Paul says, Not many of you who, uh, who were called by God were noble or were rich or were powerful. And so we're talking about upper echelon of society. But there's a figurative meaning to this, and it means noble not in birth, but in spirit, a noble a noble spirit. You may not have been born noble, but you could still be noble. And that's why uh, part of the reason why the NIV says character, noble character. People now now what we don't think of people of noble birth. We're a democracy, we're we're a colony that revolted, you know, so we can't really relate to this. Or at least I you know, I can't really relate to it. I know I'm not. Anybody here think they're born of noble noble birth? Okay, you know, no, 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 no. Okay, none of us, right? What does this mean? What, what, well, noble people were educated people. They were people who were taught to be willing to learn, to evaluate new ideas fairly, to be open-minded, and have a generous and tolerant spirit. In other words, you know, hey, uh, you know, I, I, I can entertain new ideas. I can interact with you on this. I can, I can respect that. It's kinda, they, they were kind of like Fox News. They were fair and balanced, or at least attempted to be so. But most of us are not of noble birth. So how do we get this noble spirit? How, do we, how can we, none of us here, feel like we were born nobly? So how can we have this noble spirit? Well, turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 1. 1 Corinthians 1.26, to be exact. And I just want to hit you with this. Because here's the good news. Whatever you're lacking... Whatever you're lacking that God wants you to have, He gives to you in Christ through the Spirit. You see, we as Christians have no excuse for saying, I can't. I can't needs to be out of our vocabulary because in Christ, through His Spirit, I can do all things that God requires of me. Now, look in, in 1 Corinthians one twenty six. Paul is addressing the Corinthians, and he's saying this, For you see your calling. What is that? You're calling to Christ. You're calling to salvation. You're calling to God, brethren, that not many wise and according to the flesh. Everything that he's about to say is not many wise in the world's eyes. Not many wise apart from God. Not many mighty. And then there's our word. Not many noble are called. And there's those that, that beautiful contrast, but God, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are are. He is in the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And you could say power and nobility. Okay, everything that you lack you get from God through the Spirit. So the noble spirit that the Bereans had 
and the noble spirit that you and I need as we listen to a sermon. It's a gift from God through his spirit to those who are called by God in Christ. Because it's a gift from God, we can all receive a noble spirit. It's a means of grace that we are responsible to be a part of. Now, we don't have to wonder, you know, again... That may not that did, that still doesn't help me to understand what the heck is. I still don't know. I, I still don't know what a nope. It's a classical term used back in the past. I can't relate to it. So do you throw your hands up, shut your Bible? No. Here's what you do. You compare scripture with scripture. Anytime I have a word in the Bible that I don't know what it is, and sometimes I'll even go to my Greek and my Hebrew and call upon decades of education, and I still don't know what it means. You know what I always fall back on? I look at the context. So you don't have to be a seminarian. You don't have to be a scholar. You don't have to be highly educated. You just need to be a Berean, be diligent in this word. And you know what noble spirit means? It means exactly what the next phrases tell us it means. Notice what it says. These were more fair-minded, or I like noble, had a more noble spirit than those in Thessalonica. Now, what does that mean? Well, Two phrases tell us what it means. In that they received the word with all readiness, reception, and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Examination. There's the two ideas. Let me say it this way. The two characteristics of those who listen to a sermon with a noble spirit is this, a receptive heart and a discerning mind. A receptive heart. You say... I don't know what being more noble means. Well, now we know from the Bible. Whatever it meant for other people, this is what God wants wants you to understand. A receptive heart and a discerning mind. Receptive hearers and discerning learners. Lots of ways we can say it. Look at that quote from John Stott. Luke obviously admires their enthusiasm for Paul's preaching. Together with their industry and unprejudiced openness in studying the scriptures, they combined receptivity with critical questioning. And that's what we've been learning. The first two skills have all been about receptivity, right? Expect to hear from God. Admit that he knows better. You've got a receptive, prepared heart. Now we need to add to that critical questioning. Now let's take a look at the receptive heart. Notice in the New King James, it says this in that they received the word with all readiness. Circle that word readiness in your Bible. In the New American Standard, it says, for they received the word with great eagerness. Eagerness. Readiness. Uh, The NLT paraphrases, they listened eagerly to Paul's message. See, they didn't just receive the word. They received it with what? Great readiness, eagerness, and willingness. Now, I'm not going to take the time to read 2 Corinthians 8, but I have these references. 2 Corinthians 8, 11 through 12, verse 19, and chapter 9, verse 2, is where the Apostle Paul talks about to the Corinthians about preparing for this great offering. It's, it's giving passages. Paul was going to come and collect this offering. And so for two chapters, he talks about them being ready, being eager, being willing, and therefore prepared to give this offering. And he uses this same word, readiness and eagerness. 
And so when, 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 it, when it says in, in verse 11, they received the word with great readiness or eagerness, a receptive heart receives preaching. Let me hit, hit you with four, four ideas that all come from this one word. Number one, a receptive heart receives preaching with great willingness. The Corinthians were willing to give, even out of their poverty. Paul says, even if you have a willing mind, it's accepted. When we hear preaching, we ought to be willing to hear it. Now, what's that mean? They wanted to hear. They wanted to receive. They wanted to obey. Man, bring it on, Paul. Paul said, hey, I've got a message for you. And they said, we're ready, man. We're not tired of preaching. We're not bored with listening. We're ready to hear from you. You've got a new word from God. We're ready. We're always willing to hear from God. Secondly, great eagerness. Great eagerness. Listening to preaching and teaching with great eagerness. The, the, the Thessalonians, did you notice in Thessalonica, Paul reasoned with them three Sabbaths. Did you notice that? But what does it say about the Thessalonians? I mean, what's it say about the Bereans? How often did they examine the scriptures? Daily. Do you see the dip? That's the eagerness. Man, we're not here just because it's Sunday, just because we're supposed to be here. Man, we're ready to hear from God. We're ready to hear a word from God. We're eager. Bring it on 24-7. Number three, a great readiness. A great readiness. They... And this is what this message is about. The Bereans were not only more willing than the Thessalonians, they were not only more eager, but they were more ready. They had done what was required to hear the word. And I'm telling you, that is the spirit of this series. If you don't get anything else out of this series except this one idea... When I come to hear the word taught or preached, I need to do my work before I come. I need to get myself ready, whether that means going to bed early, whether that means getting up earlier to pray with God, to say, God, bend my heart towards you, unite my heart with you. You know, whatever it means, they were ready. When he showed up, he had a ready group of people in Berea. And then four... Great preparedness. And this follows, how do you know you're prepared to hear a sermon? Am I willing? Am I eager? And am I ready? If you, th Their eagerness, their willingness, and their readiness gave them preparedness. They were Boy Scouts. And so for every sermon, we ought to say, be prepared. Get your heart ready to have a receptive Heart. Now, that kind of reviews the first two skills, right? But there's a second part to what the Bereans did. Number two, a discerning mind. A discerning mind. You see, a receptive heart, the Spirit works in us. In a discerning mind, we work in the Word. A receptive heart, God works on us and, and the Spirit helps us get ready. In the discerning mind, we work in the Word. And we examine it. Now, here's kind of how you put these two together. How do the, here's how I think through these to make it real simple. Come to the Bible with an open mind. That's a receptive heart. But don't check your brains at the door. That's a discerning mind. Come to the Bible with an open mind. 
but don't check your brains at the door. And that's, that's the, everything in this message. That's it right there. That's what, that's what a noble spirit is. That's what a prepared heart is. The Bereans didn't do that, and neither should you. Notice what it says. They searched the Scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. They examined the Scriptures carefully every day to see if these things were so. Now, this word examine is a cool word. It means to investigate. But it can be used in the Bible one of two ways. And it's used one of two ways. It can be judicial interrogation. It's used of what Herod did to, Pilate, uh, to Jesus. He put him, Jesus was on trial, and Herod examined him. Herod investigated him. Herod questioned him. It's the same thing that the Sanhedrin did to John and Peter when they were arrested for preaching. It's the same thing that Felix did to Paul when he was arrested. Now, that's not what the Bereans are doing. They are not judicially interrogating and examining the preacher. But, you know, sometimes we do that. You know, we, the joke is you go home and have roast preacher for dinner. That's judicial interrogating, okay? We're going we're gonna to tear apart the guy speaking. We're going to put him on trial. And maybe, you know, at the end of the sermon, we'll decide whether you were guilty or innocent, right? That's not the idea here. The idea here is not judicial interrogation. It's biblical investigation, biblical investigation like the Bereans did. Notice they didn't examine Paul as much. What did they examine? The scriptures, that's a big difference. Now, they used it as a standard to see what you know Paul was preaching, but they weren't there putting Paul on trial. They were putting his message on trial according to the scriptures. I like this uh, because I, I guess I say this because, again, noble spirit means fair and balanced. They were giving a fair hearing to both the preacher and the message. Uh, we can question with a desire to commend people or condemn people, can't we? We can investigate to discover truth and discern the lie, or we can investigate to discredit the truth and further the lie. There's all sorts of reasons why we examine something. But listen to this. Uh, one commentator said, the Berea... The, in Berea, the Jews eagerly received the message and diligently examined the scriptures. It was inevitable in Jewish evangelism that the Old Testament scriptures should be both the textbook and the court of appeal. What is impressive is that neither speaker nor hearers use scripture in a superficial, unintelligent, or proof-texting way. On the contrary, Paul argued out of the scriptures, and the Bereans examined them to see if his arguments were consistent. And we may be sure that Paul welcomed and encouraged this thoughtful response. He believed in doctrine. His message had theological content, but not in indoctrination, tyrannical instruction demanding uncritical acceptance. Do you see the idea? In other words, that's what we do here at our church. We teach a lot of doctrine, but you are welcome to question it, examine it, judge it according to the standards of the Bible. That's what we encourage. But when we think it's Bible, we don't back away from it at our church. We don't, we're not ashamed of the gospel. We're not going to, to mold the gospel to fit the likings of itching ears. But that doesn't mean we just speak anything we want. It means we can only speak what God has spoken. Now, a receptive heart is tied to three things. And let me go through these very quickly. What, what, 
See, the receptivity that they had was tied to their examining the scriptures. You can't separate them. They're tied together in these three ways. Let me give them to you. First of all, a receptive heart is tied to the familiarity, the familiarity with the written word. The re- you know why they examined the scriptures? Because they were already in the scriptures b- before Paul came. Are you with me? In other words, they loved the Bible. They knew the Bible. So when someone said anything about God, their first thing was to open their Bibles. Listen, people who are in the Word are into preaching. Did you get that? People that are into this book are into preaching. And people who are not into preaching are not into this book. You can't separate the Word from the, the, from the spoken Word from the written Word. Uh, number two, the authority of the written word. Receptivity is tied to the authority. When you don't see this book as your standard of authority, then you don't want to hear it. And when you say, okay, I've placed myself under, just like this Bible's over my head, I place myself under God's word and Father knows best, then I'm ready to hear because I'm ready to change. The authority of Paul was not in his education. This guy was highly educated. See, the Bereans didn't go, oh, whoa, a student of Gamaliel, a pastor from Dallas Seminary, right? A, a, a pastor with a doctorate. Oh, we, we, we just, we'll, we'll just, we'll just, you know, quit thinking here and just listen. See, this guy was highly educated. He could speak Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic. I mean, the guy knew the, the Torah. Back, I mean, he had memorized it. That's what you had to do to be a Pharisee. This guy knew it. It didn't matter to them. They opened up the Torah to see what he was really saying. They weren't impressed with his experience. Listen, Paul, in our day and age, Paul would be like sharing his testimony all over the place. Man, I was riding along in a big bolt voice from the sky i was blind for three days god spoke to me and i said who are you lord and he answered me what do you want me to do lord he told me and it was amazing and i was healed and and everybody would put their bibles down in our culture and quit thinking and go anybody with that type of spiritual experience has to know what he's talking about not the bereans They said, I don't care what your education is. I don't care what your experience is. I don't care how entertaining you are. I don't care how great of a communicator you are. I want to know and check what you're saying with the Bible. See, it wasn't about his communication. It was about God's revelation. Luke gave the Jews at Berea undying fame by characterizing them as being more noble than the Thessalonian Jews because they tested the truth of Paul's message by the touchstone of Scripture rather than judging it by political and cultural considerations. Wow. Number three, the clarity of Scriptures. The clarity of Scriptures. Receptivity is tied to the clarity of Scriptures. And by this, I mean this. If you can't understand this book, how can you judge someone by it? How can you know if someone's preaching the word if you can't read the word? But the Bereans believed that anyone and everyone could come to Scripture and say, here's what he's saying, here's what it says, it does line up or it doesn't line up, and you, as believers in Christ, have the authority to do that. All right? Okay. There's more I could give you on that. But we need to go to the so what. How does this 
that, by the way, that was all introduction. Okay? That was just all introduction. So what? How does this apply to you and me as we listen to preaching and teaching? Six ways to listen to sermons like a Berean. Are you ready? Are you ready? We're going to move what we've heard. I, I've given you, you know, two things. A receptive what? A receptive heart and a discerning mind. Now, how does that relate in this day, 21st century, right now? Number one, know your Bible. Know your Bible. The Bereans knew the Scriptures before Paul ever came. See, they didn't come and say, Wow, you know, we, we've been skipping Sabbath. Where did Paul go? Paul went to the synagogue first. Why did Paul go there first? For two reasons. That's where you found the Torah. That's where you found the Scriptures. That's where you found God's Word, number one. And that's where you found people that love God's Word. Now, who would be the most receptive audience to Jesus as God's answer to His Word? You would find, you should find them there. I wonder, in light of our... You know, you, you examine this yourself. Don't, don't say anything about it. But, you know, in light of our church attendance, would we have missed that day that Paul preached? Good question, you see. See, they were coming to the synagogue. They were learning the Word. They, were, they knew their Bible so that when Paul came, they knew where to look and what, you know, they, they weren't like doing this, you know. What? I mean, what? First Hezekiah? What? He, he, what? You know, no, he, they knew their way around the Word of God. Now, of course, let, let me understand. They did not have calfskin Bibles, true tone Bibles. They didn't have the $5 Bibles in every color that you can imagine. They had to go to the synagogue, and the, and the scribes had to teach them the Word of God. Now, if they were able to examine the Scriptures as a group of people, are we without excuse? How many Bibles you got at home? We were talking earlier today. Well, we got extra ones so we can give them away. Great. But are we opening the ones we have? So you got to know the Bible. Um, so let me commend. You know, one of the best things you can do to know your Bible is what you 90-day people have done. Read the Bible in 90 days. You, Trina, you have now read the entire Bible. doesn't mean you know it all. doesn't mean you remember, uh, you know, in light of the statistics, you know, <laughs> it's, it's a sad thought. But, but the point is, see, you're familiar with it. And if you keep doing this, Trina, and you keep reading the Word of God, and some of you, how, how many of you have read through the entire Bible at least once as a Christian? Amen. This is a great way to, apply, to be a Berean. I mean, that way, anywhere anybody preaches, you've already, you've already read that. I've read that. I may have forgotten it all, but I read it. And, 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 and if you marked in your Bible, hey, I was there once, and I got proof. I, I, I put something down, okay? Know your Bible. So continually be reading it. Now, if you're a new believer or you're still a seeker of Christ and you don't know him yet, then here's the advice. You say, well, I'm, I'm dead in the water. I can't listen to another sermon because I don't know the whole Bible and I haven't read it all. No, start reading it today. You say, I'm not a believer. That's okay. Start reading it today. I would encourage you to read the Gospel of John one chapter a day and say, God, reveal yourself to me as I read this. Number two, if you read your Bible at home, you should bring it to church. Number two, bring your Bible. Kind of hard to be a Berean 
as you listen a sermon if you don't have your Bible. You want to listen to a sermon like a Berean? Then bring your Bible to church. Still never forget Terry's mom talking to me. I, I was a churchgoer for 17 years. Chris, do you bring your Bible to church? No. Does anyone else bring their Bible to church? Oh, no, now, that you, now that, that you bring that up, no, I've never seen one. Well, and then the killer, she's just setting me up, setting me up. Do you think if they don't bring them to church, they read them at home? Well, no, probably not. And then the zinger, she had me. Why don't you read your Bible? And I started reading it, changed everything. I have a friend who, uh, when they moved away from here many years ago, went looking for a church. And one of the ways they would look for a church is they'd sit out in the parking lot and see if anybody was walking in with their Bibles. Because if they weren't even walking in with the Bibles, they weren't going to go there at all. Now, today, you've got to balance that because some people are bringing it on their smartphones and on their iPhones. So just because they don't have it, and, you know, and that's a little dangerous because uh, you could be uh, looking at your stocks or something instead of uh, looking at the Scriptures. But, hey, we have distractions with everything. doesn't matter whether you have it digital or what. Bring it. Bring it. This is why we now have pew Bibles. Why do we have pew Bibles? Because we want people to be Bereans. And so, you know, I, I told someone we were getting pew Bibles, and their first reaction was, why do we need those? You know what I mean? What, you don't want us to bring our Bible anymore? Well, no, 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 no. I want you to bring, don't, and, 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 and let me say this very clearly. Don't you dare be lazy. And use the pew Bible instead of bringing your own. Because that's not the purpose of those. Those are for the unbelievers you're bringing. That you're bringing. Okay. And who need a Bible. And you can whip that out and hand it to them. It's for you sitting next to a stranger, a new person. And they, they don't look like they, they, they've been around church very much. And so they're welcome. And you make them feel more welcome by pulling the Bible out and showing them where to turn in it and how to find their way through it. They, now, they may need a magnifying glass because the print's pretty small. But that's all right. You bring one of those and we'll, we'll, work, we'll work on it. That's why we have pew Bibles. Now, you open it. As it's being taught or preached. That's number three. You bring it to open it. Now, how many, don't raise your hand, but we really should. How many, how many of you are guilty of bringing your Bible but never open it? The preaching starts and uh, you might open it for the scripture reading and, and then you just, just leave it closed. And it's a temptation because of our study notes. Study notes are great. I use them. We use them upstairs. There's nothing wrong with that. But if I'm not careful, I use my Bible as a, a writing surface, right? Wrong. <laughs> Don't, bad, bad habit, right? Open your Bible to be a brain. It's one thing to bring your Bible. It's another thing to open it during the preaching and teaching. When should I open my Bible? Whenever it's being taught or preached. Whenever it's being read. The scripture reading. Now, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I don't. Because sometimes I just want to listen. I just want to listen to the word, so I shut my eyes and I don't. But more times than not, the vast majority, and part of it is because I know I'm an example and other people watch, and I'm a leader. And so I don't always have freedom to do some things that I may want to do as a worshiper. You know, I mean, because I want to be a good example. And when people are reading, then we should have this open, because I can open it and still shut my eyes and just listen. But the idea is to follow along. Make sense? When it's read and when it's taught. It's a bad, bad habit to leave your Bible closed while listening to someone teach or preach the Word. Okay, and then, of course, bad teaching or preaching is such that you wouldn't have to open it to follow along. But that's for another series. Number three, four, check your Bible. You open it 
to check it. It's one thing to bring it. It's another thing to open it. But if you open it and don't check it, then you might as well not bring it or open it. All right? How do you check your Bible? Look up references and passages as the preacher or teacher mentions them. Check the context of verses listed in the notes. Ask yourself, is the main thrust of the sermon the same as the main idea of what I'm reading in the Bible? Is the speaker taking verses out of context to make his point? Is the verse or passage being used as a springboard to boing, go off on to the speaker's own ideas? Now, notice the goal is not to do your own Bible study during the sermon, but to be diligent in checking the spoken word of men with the written word of God. Good study Bible can help you at. When do you check your Bible? Check it before the sermon. If you know the passage, if we're going through a book down here or upstairs, then be reading that passage, reading that book. Open, Check your Bible before you even get to church. Check it during the sermon and then check it after the sermon to get a better handle on a passage. If you don't think something lines up, if you hear something we say that doesn't line up with the Bible, then come and ask about it. And, 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 and we'll gladly correct if we were wrong and we'll gladly explain to make things clear. And then uh, next, mark your Bible. Mark your Bible. I, I don't think you really check your Bible if you don't mark your Bible. And what I gave to you on the table there and what some of you picked up is just my Bible of how that this passage, this page is, happens to be marked. And uh, I, I, I've got, every Bible I have is marked. Every Christian ought to have a marked Bible. There's nothing so holy about this book you can't write in it. It's meant to be used. Bibles ought to be worn out. Pages ought to be coming out of them because you're using them so diligently. And so what, what should I mark? I've given you uh, six things. And I, let me add a seventh one. Record dates of key decisions. So you've got seven things to mark in your Bible. Number seven is re- record dates. And so you can read those on your own. Finally, study your Bible. Study your Bible. Preaching ought to lead to personal study. <laughs> That's what the Bereans did. And so let's wrap this up. And by the way, when I mean study, I'm not talking about go to college, Bible college, seminary. I'm talking about memorize and meditate. Memorize and meditate on what the... And so that's why the sermon notes can be so great. You know, we we have no lack of how to do devotions. You know what you, you can do? Take the sermon notes take the study notes from class and just use those as your devotions for the week and then come back and get a new set every week. Okay, spiritual skill number three. Check what you hear with the Bible. Be a receptive hearer. Be a discerning learner. Come to the Bible with an open mind, but don't check your brains at the door. Beloved, I don't know how to make this any more practical than what I've done for you today. It's really, really simple those who don't check their brains at the door bring their bibles open their bibles check their bibles mark their bibles and end up being students of the word like the brains is this good stuff was this helpful to you amen let's now do it father we come and uh, we're humbled that you have blessed this nation with an abundance of the written word Not only have you blessed us with the written word, Lord, you have blessed us with the spoken word. There is no lack of hearing from you and reading what you have said. And yet, Lord, we confess our spiritual sluggardly. 
weakness. We have been lazy. We have been negligent. And yet, Lord, you have given us a spirit that wants to read your word. You have given us a noble spirit as your children. And we do love it. And we do often read it. Let this day be a reminder to be Bereans as we listen to your word. To be active and involved with an open Bible and a discerning mind. Bless these people. Give them abundant grace to be doers of the world.